Hi, good morning, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Rebel News Daily live stream. I am your guest host, Sheila Gunn-Reed, uh, just flung into the role about a half an hour ago. So I really don't know a lot, of, not that I don't know a lot about the topics that we're going to talk about, but I'm they're going to be a surprise to all of us. <laughs> so I'll do my best to talk about these things on the fly. Uh, normally, the show is hosted by David Menzies and a rotating cast of characters. Um, but David is on a very special assignment this morning and couldn't be with us. Um, his special assignment ran late, which is why... Um, Hello, I'm here, but I'm joined by my co-host today, Drea Humphrey, who hopefully is more prepared than I. Drea, how's it going? <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, you know, these live streams, because of the time they start in BC, I'm always driving around and running and racing and I do my best. So this should be an interesting show. But that's also what makes the daily roundup great is that it's unscripted. You get to know us a little bit better and we get to know you a bit better, too. And a fun way to do that is through the live chat options on Rumble and Odyssey. So like I said, we're just going to be chatting the daily news with you and you can let us know your comments and thoughts on that or give us some news by donating there and we read that and make it part of the show. So it's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to the topics. It's a good list, whether we're overly prepared or not. <laughs> well, thank you for setting the bar so low. <laughs> Expectations yeah. lowered, um, yeah. but let's get right into it. Um we should, uh, did we tell everybody about the, sorry, I was rapidly reading the topics while you were talking and it's not like I wasn't paying attention to you. I was trying to prepare. Um, <laughs> but, uh, did we tell everybody, uh, about chats? We did. See, we're okay, on perfect. it. We're on the ball. Okay. No, you are. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> you, you are. I'm not. I was filming my uh, weekly paywalled show just before I came onto this. In fact, while I was filming, I was like, Efron, quit calling me on Skype. I'm recording somewhere else. I can't be on the live stream yet. So here we are. Uh, let's start, start with the first block of topics that we've listed under LGBT and feminism. Yeah. First uh, topic of the day is a women's rights talk mm -hmm. canceled by British Columbia Community Center for promoting discrimination, contempt, or hatred against trans people. We've come full circle where you just talk yeah. about women's spaces and women's rights. And if you don't include uh, the surgically uh, created women, uh, you right. are discriminating against people all of a sudden. I, I think it was funny though, how you, it, was, it wasn't discrimination in the before times when you talked about women's only spaces, you weren't discriminating against men no. then, but then when the men started identifying as women, then you're discriminating. I, I like how that sort of morphed um, into something new. Well, yeah. And the last, like the, we have pride season and I guess it's pride or no LGBT uh, history month and things like that. And to some extent, some people feel like that's a little bit exclusionary too, but no one makes a big deal about it. If you don't fit into it or you don't want to celebrate it, you see even the LGBT members saying, we want a divorce from what's going on. So even some of them feel like those types of things are not inclusive. But here you are standing up or just talking about it. It's actually a discussion and to talk about safe spaces for women and children. And so this was the Chowakin Community Center that last minute, you know, cancels on them. This, as a little bit of a precursor to this, I have a report coming out, should be out today, just a couple of days ago, 
there was a sold out talk hosted by Megan Murphy. She is a Canadian author and a women's rights activist. And it was sold out. But that show was originally canceled as well. It was supposed to originally be done in Nanaimo. And same thing at the stroke of midnight. This pressure comes in from, you know, people calling it hate and then they cancel. But thankfully, the Saltaire Community Center allowed them to host it last minute. And like I said, the tickets were completely sold out. It was a panel. And I think the main part of that report is that they welcome You know, this Chowakin Community Center is saying this is exclusive, but the evidence shows in my report coming out, they actually welcomed some of the LGBTQ activists who were outside protesting to go ahead and take the mic. So this isn't an exclusionary event. It's just an event about an important discussion. I'm going to read just a little bit of the excuse Chowakin Community Center sent to cancel on them. Um, It says, as a public facility, we are required to follow policy under the BC Human Rights Code, given the likelihood that the purpose of this event is to promote or would have the effect of promoting discrimination, contempt, or hatred for any group or person on the basis of sex, gender, identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, or any other similar factor is determined. It is determined the rental must be canceled. But good news to the right there, you can see that they are still going on, still going strong, and the new event is happening tonight in Parksville. So it's just this cancel culture stuff is getting so tired and so played out. You know, we showed a clip of the counter protesters being invited to take their mic. They were given mm-hmm. a round of applause. And, uh, you know, it, it's just the idea that they were okay to walk into the building and take the mic and feel comfortable to take the mic with a countervailing viewpoint. Um, it sort of blows a hole in their argument that the other side of the debate from radical transgenderism is violent, genocidal, um, bunch of Nazis who won't let you speak and don't care about you. Um, The opposite is true, right? Like they were invited and felt safe enough to take the mic. You know, if you were in a room with genocide heirs, you probably wouldn't be like, I'll tell you what I think. Exactly. Um, But I mean, like, it just shows how hyperbolic the other side of this is. I think they would say they didn't feel safe. I think they did say that when they took the mic, but I hope that they went home <laughs> and saw that they were safe because yeah, they were exactly. invited in once. They were invited in repeatedly. And then when they got in the room, it's like you said, it, you know, they, uh, one of them said, you're trying to get rid of our existence. I'm actually really excited about this uh, report because hopefully, um, you know, some of the inflammatory narratives that they've been driven to believe from things like the news, I can understand why they're fearful, because you have like unions getting together and convincing them that all of these things, you know, parental rights, women's space, safe spaces is about erasing them when it's not. So, yeah. They're really excited, loud but... and colorful. They're going to be hard to hide. Like, like, it's hard to erase people who are really loud and colorful. And I don't think that's the effort. I, I don't care what they do. I just don't want you to do it in front of my kid. That's all like, like, that's all. And I think that's why they don't want us talking to each other. I was talking to Tamara on the live stream about this yesterday. And, uh, I think there are a lot of things upon which we agree. 
For example, mm-hmm. I don't want kids who are struggling with gender identity to kill themselves. I of just course. have a different approach to that. I think parents yeah. should be engaged if your child is suffering from a condition that will increase suicidality. I don't mm-hmm. think that should be hidden from parents because wouldn't you want two extra sets of eyes watching this potentially suicidal child at home? Of course you um, would. Yeah. So I think parents should be engaged. I think parents should be able to pursue uh, whatever sort of counseling they feel as mm-hmm. the first best educator and the person who loves that child the most. I think they should be able to pursue whatever counseling and help they think that child needs. Um, it's the other side that wants to carve out parents that I have a real problem with. Well, exactly. And we know from the data that even after younger people transition, it doesn't uh, correlate with less suicidal ideation. So yeah, so we know that that's not the answer. And some of the people we've interviewed who have detransitioned, they, I think everyone that I've interviewed that detransitioned always says they believe something else was going on mental health wise, and they really wish they had gotten that treated like Chloe Cole, for one example. I know she says that she was misdiagnosed as being autistic, and that was part of why she wasn't fitting in and things like that. And it would have been nice if she got that diagnosis instead of, uh, you know, led on a different trail there. So these discussions are so important, and it's a shame to see community centers canceling events in their community that sell out and talk about being scared there were a lot of people who of course when I was filming they didn't want their guests to the event they didn't want their faces on there because they're scared they're going to get canceled from their business and stuff so who's really at risk here well and I noticed some of the signs and I said this yesterday in your protest like to have like soji saves lives so the that's the comprehensive sex ed program that contaminates children's minds with sexualized thinking long before they're ready. Um, They say it saves lives. Well, show me the data. (laughs) Show me the data um, where, you know, introducing this sort of stuff to kids actually Mm -hmm. reduces suicidality. There's no evidence of that. I'm sorry. There just isn't. Yeah. I could go on forever. Uh, Let's talk. Let's talk about um, another thing that's happening in BC. Um, We've got, John Rustad, he's the BC conservative leader, uh, the only one who seems to have a divergent viewpoint um, (laughs) on these matters in all of BC government. Uh, It seems to be quite homogenous, even on the like the the center right or the Liberal Party there is not like a Justin Trudeau Liberal Party, although it seems to behave sometimes like that. It's Mm -hmm. a center right party. It's a coalition party. But conservatives have sort of united now. BC United now, that's right, because they needed to jettison the stigma of being yeah. liberals. Um, however, yeah. uh, they they are the, they were the old BC Liberal Party, and they were a coalition party, so whatever. But conservatives need need a better alternative than sort of watered down whatever that is, and so they have John Rustad, and uh, it, he is sort of taking a lot of heat in BC for advocating for parents being involved in in their children's sexual education yeah how is this controversial of the fourth party thank you uh, honorable speaker um, thousands of british Columbians, many of them from minority communities have been protesting against og123 which was originally introduced by the bc united liberals parents are concerned about the sexualization of their children in this ndp government's education system Will the minister admit that SOGI123 has been divisive, 
an assault on parents' rights, and a distraction on student education. Premier. Well, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and uh, I welcome the member uh, to, the, to the House as the leader of, uh, of his new party. But I gotta say, this is not an auspicious start. You know, <laughs> when you talk about the issues of the day for British Columbians, cost of living, housing, we heard from the BCUP, healthcare, addiction, mental health, to, to come into this place, to use the authority of his office, uh, his new party, to find a small group of kids in our province, to, to leverage all of that to make them feel less safe at school, less safe in our community, to, to feed the fires of division in our province and bring culture war to British Columbia, it is not welcome. And when he sat on this side of the house, he supported those same policies, Honorable Chair. It is outrageous that he would stand here and do this. He sees political advantage in picking on kids and families and teachers and schools who are just trying to do their best for kids who are at risk of suicide, Honorable Chair. Shame on him. Choose another question. Kids at risk so of suicide. Yeah, like it's, uh, the, you know what the problem is? David Eby is scared. You know why? The large minority population in the lower mainland. Yeah. If they turn on the current government, um, mm -hmm. it, it won't be good. When you start telling uh, socially conservative minority populations that they don't have any rights over the education of their children, that mm -hmm. government's in real trouble. It is. And it's also showing to me how out of touch EB is, or maybe he's putting on a face to be out of touch and playing dumb here, because out of the 92 cities that participated in the 1 million March for Children, which was about the issue that Rustad just raised in the legislature, it 27 were in British Columbia. And almost all of them had more parents, families outweighing the small amount of counter protesters. I can only think of a couple where it was reversed. So to condemn Rusted for raising an issue that no one else is raising, that everyone else is becoming more aware of than, you know, I'm assuming when he was on the other side, is just, it's tone deaf. Well, and politicians should change their minds when more information comes to light. Like that's what I want politicians to do. That's why we dig up the information and then show it to the world is so that when you see it, you might have a come to Jesus moment and change your mind about your viewpoint. He's mm -hmm. obviously changed his mind about his viewpoint. He is representing the concerns of conservatives, which is refreshing for a conservative politician yeah. to do. It's disorienting because <laughs> I'm kind of not used to it. Um, yeah. But he, He's, he's speaking to the issues of parents, and he is. And uh, you know what? If EB wants to pick this fight with minority communities in the Lower Mainland, I say, <laughs> bring it. You know, when I was at, at the Regina protest, I was like, did, did the Sikh temple just let out? <laughs> Where did all these people come from? Because this yeah. is an issue that is so important to exactly. minority communities who are largely social conservative. And so when, you know, the left claims they're all about diversity and, and supporting minority populations, well, let's see, let's see, let's see where this goes. Well, BC is getting a little bit spicy. That party in particular, I mean, it was briefly mentioned, he said, welcome with uh, being the leader of an official party. Uh, the Conservative Party of British Columbia, I believe for the first time in 12 years, uh, 
got their first MLA through Rusted, who was expelled from the former BC Liberals, now BC United. So they canceled him on his birthday for saying something against the climate alarmist. No, retweeting something against the climate alarmism sort of agenda. So I think it's not just Evie who's scared. It must be the BC United who's scared because they, like you said, are supposed to be a coalition that's home for the Conservatives. I doubt they were able to ignore how many parents, families, um, people of color came out to be a part of that march. And now they see the only voice for all of these people who are concerned about SOGI 123, which is a diverse group of people in British Columbia, the only voice being represented represented now in the House is that of the Conservative Party of British Columbia, which just got their official party status because Bruce Bandman from the BC United crossed the floor. So there is a lot of spicy stuff going on right now in British Columbia, and it's leaning as far as growth-wise towards the Conservative Party of BC. And this stuff should really scare progressives because a lot of people are single issue voters. Um, for a lot of people up until now, I think probably their single issue might have been affordability. Um, mm -hmm. But this is next level because a lot of parents, their children are their only concern. Like that's that's it. That's and it should yeah. be really. Yeah, it should be like when yeah. people say, I would take a bullet for my child. I would jump in front of a speeding exactly. car for my child. I would jump in front of a train to save my child. The train is this stuff. The train mm -hmm. is so G. This is a battle for the hearts, the minds, the souls, and the bodies of mm -hmm. our children. And it yeah. leaves issues like affordability right in the dust. And you don't even have to look all that far mm -hmm. in the past to see where this stuff can flip from progressive to conservative nearly instantly. It happened in Virginia. Um, Glenn Youngkin is the governor there in a highly Democrat state, all because of a parents uprising, because it became a single issue voter. Uh, there were single issue voters that had previously been Democrats turn right. out for him because he was the only person talking about it. I, I yeah, we'll see. It should be pretty interesting. And again, for Evie to mention, you know, housing, all these other important things, um, you know, as though this is not important is just, again, mind boggling to me, very tone deaf. And I think it's going to come back to bite him in the butt at least a little bit when it comes voting time in 2024, which is just around the corner, if they don't do some sort of snap election <laughs> to kind of stop uh, what's happening now. You never know. Oh, BC is always interesting, though, because, you know, you have the, the Greens sort of holding the balance of power there. It's odd. Sure. Anyways, yeah. let's uh, next story on the same issue. This one makes me laugh because <laughs> um, it uh, goes to my theory that these males competing in ladies sports um, because they put on a ladies bathing suit are nothing but a bunch of cheaters. And when presented with a level playing ground, they don't want to play there. And we can see that here. So swimming World Cup category for transgender athletes canceled after you guessed it. No entries received. The open category to hold uh, on hold after no entrance in Berlin World Aquatics says it will try inclusive initiative again. Well, of course, if you were a mediocre male athlete, why yeah. would you <laughs> why would you want to compete in people who might be close yeah. in biological build as you when you could just go into the ladies category and smoke them um yeah 
It's perfect. And isn't I mean, this, exactly. Is it, uh, that's exactly what it is. And isn't this equality? Actually, I'm just going to touch on what you just said there. That is exactly what it is because we see way less women who identify as men entering sure. men's sports than the other way around. So this is actually evening, even, evening out the playing field and it's equality. Okay, let's accommodate. You know, I'm, I'm not saying they're disabled, but we have our, you know, disability Olympics, things like that. So let's accommodate. Let's have a bathroom for you. Let's do all these things. Like we're not tyrants here. You know, <laughs> let's just make things fair. You know, male-bodied individuals shouldn't be competing with women. It's not right. fair. It's not yeah, right. No, this science. is perfect. They they know they'll lose. <laughs> so they, they yeah. don't join the open category because this isn't about wanting to compete in their sport in a level playing field in fair competition. This is about being better women than we are. Well, and it reminds me of uh, our colleague, David Menzies, great coverage with all of the rugby stuff with that man. I think that the name is Ash. He identifies as a Ash, non-binary person named ash but it also reminds me of why you know women might want to hang on to a player like that maybe they also don't yeah, necessarily cheaters. want it when they've got a tough that <laughs> you know the hardest <laughs> hardest rugby hitter that he got in the men's league right the hardest yeah, rugby yeah. hitter and then he comes over to the women's you want to hold on to that too you don't want uh you know a transgender league either no of course not although i would watch the hell out of that <laughs> I would too. It would do good. It would do good. Someone should I really, would. you know what? There are enough. I don't know if there's enough, but there are transgender people who are against competing against women and who don't want to go into women's spaces. So they should really champion stuff like this and give it a shot. And, you know, maybe if they're not even that athletic, they'll be like the number one, right? Right. All of a sudden you are, which is, that's yeah. exactly what, uh, liar thomas is doing he was not all that athletic yeah. he was not that great of a male swimmer so he's like yeah i'm a lady now look at me in this leotard wow. anyway um yeah. let, let's move ahead uh let's skip the colin rug video uh the <laughs> shisunak actually you know what let's 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 show this because uh the uk prime minister rishi sunak uh he black this is shocking to me he blasts, blasts the woke gender cult and says a man is a man and a woman is a woman. I did not expect this from him at all. I'm, I'm shocked. Anyways, let's, let's, let's see. And it also shouldn't be controversial for parents to know what their children are being taught in school about relationships. Patients should know when hospitals are talking about men or women. And we shouldn't get bullied. And we shouldn't get bullied into believing that people can be any sex they want to be. They can't. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. That's just common sense. Wow. Maybe usually the conservatives... The well, and usually the conservatives in the UK are just like this mushy... Uh, Reminds me of all the UK food, right? It's just sort of bland and tasteless and kind of boiled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was uh, spicy and commonsensical, and I'm I'm shocked. 
I'm glad you it's so that. weird that being commonsensical is spicy. Like <laughs> it should not be. But yeah, that was interesting to see. But I think the UK is a little bit ahead of us. Like when I think of transitioning children, there's certainly they were doing that at larger volumes faster or earlier than we started doing it. That's why you saw their, you know, number one gender clinic get shut down. And I think they're are over a thousand families that came together to try to sue for their young adults who they believe shouldn't have been um, transitioned. So I think part of what we're seeing there too is that they're a little bit ahead of us in the pushback and seeing that, oh, you know, that we've gone too far in this, this uh, affirm all things um, trans. And so people are going, you know, if you wanted the LGBT and a little plus, but now kids are being taught there's 50 or more genders. I mean, they can't even learn the ABCs yet at five. And they're being told there's so many genders more than 26 letters in the alphabet. So um, yeah, that was good to see that. By the way, did you, did you see that they added another Q? <laughs> the Why? LGBTQ acronym? I think it means what questioning. I don't know. But mm. I, I'm worried that we're all just going to be transgender or at least in the LGBT umbrella because they keep adding all these yeah. things. Like I I said that they're eventually going to add like heterosexual tomboy. So they're going to add HT and then all of a sudden I'm in the gender cult. They're going to well, get I me. I am happy. <laughs> I'm happy because they hijacked the symbol of the rainbow, which is a godly symbol. But now they're so obsessed with adding things that you can see those triangles are encroaching the rainbow. So it's not even going to be oh, a rainbow know. flag soon. Oh, I don't God. know where to look on that flag. You know, like when you look at stuff and you sort of get dizzy because your eyes are sort of jotting all over. Yes. That's how I feel when I look at that flag because I'm like, Where's my eye supposed to land on this confusing thing? It reminds me of, um, do you remember when, well, I'm going to really date myself with this Simpsons reference, but when Homer made his first website <laughs> and it had like <laughs> clapping Jesus and chattering teeth and uh, <laughs> like all these like emojis dancing on this screen and it was just a pile yeah. of clutter and bells ringing. That's oh how I feel when I look at that flag. I'm like, where do I look? What's happening? I think it's here? fitting. I think it makes yeah. sense for it to be like that. If you ask people, for example, what exactly they pronounce. Homer's page. Oh my gosh, she found it. <laughs> look at Jesus. That's how I feel. That's how I feel when I look at that flag. I'm like, they just keep adding stuff to it. And it yeah. enrages me and makes me mad because I don't know where to look and it makes me a little dizzy. Right. But many of them, like the they's, they don't know what they are. If you ask, like, what is they? It means like, I'm not sure. Like today I might feel like a woman and I might be a man this day. And I'm not really sure. So just call me they. So it seems fitting. <sighs> okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> uh, Swiss writer who called a journalist. Look, this is probably in poor taste, but I, is it jail time poor taste? No. So this writer who called journalist fat lesbian, you know what? If that were the like least of the things I was called in a day at work I, yeah. on the internet, I would be happy. But yeah. uh, sentenced to but... 60 days in prisons, LGBTQ what? groups applaud the decision. They're like, yep, lock up the people who hurt our feelings. And they're not tyrants. This is crazy. Okay, uh, so I didn't get a chance. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't get a chance to read this. Did he actually go to jail for saying that? Or Okay, so this... Uh, okay, so a court... You go ahead. It. Okay. No, you go, you go. <laughs> okay, a court in Switzerland sent us a writer and commentator for 
to 60 days in jail for calling a journalist a fat lesbian. And the decision is being lauded by LGBTQ plus groups. You forgot the Q, guys. There's two Qs. On Monday, <laughs> on Monday, French-Swiss polemicist Alan Bonnet, I guess he's Swiss, so it's Bonnet, who goes by Alain Soral, was sentenced by the Lusain court for the crimes wow. of defamation, wow. discrimination, and incitement to hatred after he criticized Catherine Mecherel, a journalist for Swiss newspapers Tribune de Genève and 24 Hours, in a Facebook video two years ago. The court wow. has made an important... The court decision is an important moment for justice and rights of the LGBTQI people in Switzerland, said the co-director of a lesbian activist group. The conviction of Elaine Sorrell is a strong sign that homophobic hatred cannot be tolerated in our society. In addition to the prison time, Sorrell was subsequently ordered to pay legal fees and fines totaling thousands of Swiss francs. Holy hell. Like, how is fat lesbian? I mean, it's not nice. And maybe you should lose your job it's or not something. It's not nice. Your journalists are saying that. But how is it even hateful? Like, I, it's just, it's like a description. Like, I'm missing it here. Right. And then how on earth did he get found guilty of this? Clearly, the defamation laws in Switzerland are way different than here, especially British Columbia, where we have the anti-slap law, where you can basically yeah. get away it's been used backwards. I won't get into it because I'm not a lawyer, but basically it's very hard to win a defamation case out here. And I think Ontario too. Um, I'm in shock. I'm in shock. This is horrible. Imagine going to jail for 60 days for, you know, something you did two, two years ago. I don't understand this. Like fat is a descriptor and I'm reliably informed by the yeah, lesbian is a matter of fact. That lady described herself right. as the head of an, a lesbian activist group. So yeah. what is the problem here? I'm reliably yeah. informed by fat activists that fat is beautiful. And so calling right. somebody fat is akin to calling them beautiful. He should have oh, went with that. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't understand if it's an insult here, but it's not an insult there. Um, I, I don't understand. I think... I don't even know what the lady looks like. He probably probably accurately described her. And now I'm going to go to jail in Switzerland. Yeah, there's a little like bit more. serve conscious. a lot of chocolate. Yeah, good thing we don't live there. But um, <laughs> there's a little bit more context. But still, I'm still missing how he got found guilty. Says, called her a fat lesbian, criticized her work as a queer activist, and said okay. she was un- unhinged in a social media video. I swear we've done the unhinged title on so many videos and articles. Like, I think we lead with unhinged sometimes. <laughs> He's a commenter. Wow. He comments. He's a political commenter. It, to call what somebody unhinged, if you are having somebody criminally charged for describing an overweight same-sex attracted woman as a fat lesbian, I'm going to go out on a limb and call you unhinged. I just wouldn't say that. I think that's crazy. No, I just won't say it in Switzerland. Um, Olivia whispers in my ear, is there Swiss ex- are there extradition agreements with Canada? 
<laughs> Justin Trudeau would probably just give me to them. Uh, <laughs> take her. Get rid of her. Get her out of here. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Olivia tells me we should hit an ad break before we go into the next segment on Trudeau and the carbon tax. Come on out November 25th. It's all aboard the Freedom Train in Niagara-on-the-Lake. You can check Rebel News for updates and also the Freedom Passport site. Tamara Leach, who led the Truckers Convoy, will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists, like the Chops Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus, New World Sun, just off a European tour, and the legendary R&B master, Leroy Emanuel. Get on the Freedom Train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara-on-the-Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The Freedom Train is coming. Know your rights. Know your freedoms. Hey, Ben Shapiro here. This November, the Wilberforce Project is bringing me to Canada. If you want to fight the woke machine destroying families, join me in Calgary for my talk. Hosted by the Wilberforce Project. Go to benshapirolive.ca for info and tickets. Justin Trudeau's new censorship law, Bill C-18, it's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada. We've partnered with Private Internet Access, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices at piavpn.com slash rebelnews. Okay, let's go into Justin Trudeau uh, not knowing about recent Alberta history. Um, but why would we? He forgets to thank us uh, or acknowledge us during Canada Day ceremonies. So like, why, why would he know anything about us? <laughs> um, that was intentional so, man oh for sure we don't we don't even exist um <laughs> although he's finding out the hard way that we do thanks to our new premier feisty daniel smith uh ready to fight with him on everything which is great <laughs> uh but we've got, <laughs> got a video uh of trudeau telling a group of alberta ceos that unnamed politicians he's talking about daniel smith here opposed to the liberals energy plans are denying certainty to investors and business leaders, denying workers opportunities, and denying our kids and grandkids the secure future they deserve. Let's let Justin Trudeau talk about this, and then uh, I'll tell you why he's an idiot for like for this specific reason. There are lots of reasons he's an idiot, but I, I can deal with this thing right now. Our government has made a significant commitment to being a partner with the business community in our collective work to build a clean economy. We've committed billions through investment tax credits for CCS, clean electricity, and clean technology. Unfortunately, there are politicians who'd rather rile up people's fears and anxieties instead of focusing on what we can do, what we need to do to secure a strong future for our economy. We need to make the very best use of the know-how of our energy industry and energy workers so we can make sure that Canada continues to lead. The politicians who'd rather deny the facts of the matter than take action to meet this moment are denying certainty to investors and business leaders, denying workers opportunities, and denying our kids and grandkids the secure future they deserve. 
Gotta throw the kids okay. in there. You gotta throw the kids in there for sure. Um, the This is an absolute idiotic statement for him to make because Albertans are not hard of remembering. We just lived through the NDP here from 2015 to 2019. And we know what their anti-energy policies did to our oil patch. It caused nearly immediate flight from Alberta. All these multinational oil companies said, you know what? It's a lot safer to do business, economically speaking, in Kazakhstan where you, or places where you just pay the local warlord off yeah. so that you can do business <laughs> there. Uh, you know, Iraq, where, you know, like it was easier to do business in the parts of the world where ISIS might come and just take your drilling platform from you than to do business here in Alberta. We had companies just pack up and leave. And with that, it was like nothing to hear every day of 800 jobs lost here, another 600 jobs lost there. It was constant. There are people who tell me stories of what it was like to work in downtown Calgary during mm. those days of the NDP, especially in their first little bit after they passed the carbon tax that they didn't campaign on. Businesses were blindsided by that. And then they just said, you know what? Can't, we're not, we're out. There would be a lineup of cabs on Monday morning at those head offices and people coming downstairs with their belongings because they had mm -hmm. been laid off. And one of my colleagues here at Rebel News, Holly Nicholas was one of them. She's a geologist and she reported for us for a few years before she went back to school, but she was one of those laid off geologists. Um, wow. But just to, uh, in February, Devon Energy left, Apache mm. left, uh, Stat Oil left, EOG left, Shell withdrew an application for an oil sands mine. Conoco Phillips sold a massive land package in November 2015. Wow. Guess when that was? That was right when the NDP carbon tax came. Murphy Oil sold its 5% interest in Syncrude uh, to Suncor. Uh, Chevron left. Um, it and they cited high operating costs. Well, what would have added to those high operating costs, yeah. except the NDP's anti-oil agenda, including the carbon tax. Um, Diamondback Energy uh, had big losses. It was just everybody left to the point where, T and now there's so much stigma attached to being a Canadian oil company that mm. TransCanada changed its name to TC. Because they needed to obscure the stigma of actually being a Canadian company. We have the world's third largest provable oil reserves. And you cannot get an energy project done in this country. And for Justin Trudeau to say, oh, it's politicians like Danielle Smith who are saying, we're pro-oil and gas. They're the problem with investor uncertainty. Really? Are you crazy? Saskatchewan shares an oil field with North Dakota. During Justin Trudeau's leadership, guess where all the oil companies parked their projects? Not in Saskatchewan, which shares an oil patch with North Dakota. They went to North Dakota. And there's a reason for that. Mm, it's just yeah. a lot safer to do business there.
Oh, this is so sad. I mean, preach it. You said it all right. And people aren't going to forget that. And how do you give your kids a good future? I don't know, by succeeding, making your province, uh, you know, wealthy. And it's ethical oil. It's not, um, you know, trash oil. It's something that we should be proud of as Canadians and, of course, Albertans. And it shouldn't be attacked. TC changing their name, I assume, also has to do with the attacks that some of them did experience from, yeah. you know, extremists and things like that. So it is good to see Premier uh, Danielle Smith saying enough is enough. We're not playing these games with you. Uh, common sense. It all comes down to common sense. I think that's what's going to win um, in quite a few elections. Whoever is just literally making sense because everything Trudeau just said there makes absolutely no sense. Um, I can give you the numbers, actually. BOE report, which is a great uh, oil patch-centric uh, website, they broke it all down. After mm. the NDP took power here in Alberta, over the next four years, investment fell year after year. Compared to 2015, when $75 billion was invent invested in Alberta in 2016, 17, and 18, they only saw $60 billion in capital spending. If spending had held from 2015, Alberta would have had an additional $45 billion in capital just kicking around the province. Wow. Um, and that's because the Alberta government fought against pipelines and they were supported by the feds. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for, and, and how many jobs, not, how many jobs were lost? Like tons. Oh, it was, I think, approaching 100,000 at one point. Wow. And so the NDP to obscure that. They went on a massive government hiring spree. I think they yeah, hired about 40,000 into the provincial government, uh, 40, 50,000. Anyways, there's a massive government hiring spree to try to obscure the real mm. unemployment numbers. Um, and for ge gender you know, even, inclusivity hires. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And yeah. even if you're not in the oil patch, even if you don't care about the oil patch, you, you couldn't care less. All these attacks on the energy industry make your life more expensive. It makes food more expensive at the grocery store because of inputs to farmers, transportation costs, refrigeration costs, everything, your home heating, the ability to drive your car, getting ki your kids back and forth from hockey and soccer and driving to work. Everything you do and touch yeah. is touch. more expensive and wear and eat is more expensive because of these attacks on our life-giving, life-saving energy industry. Uh, Cap should hire me. People are seen. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you should be. No, we need you. We need you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's uh, move ahead because uh, it, it's gotten so bad on the East Coast. The liberals are starting to break ranks with the liberals on the carbon tax. So we've got three uh, New Brunswick MPs criticizing Justin Trudeau on the carbon tax. Um, these are liberal MPs who are doing this. Mm -hmm. uh, they're criticizing yeah. their own government's carbon taxes, <clears throat> saying it disadvantages rural residents. And they're calling for sweeping changes, including the complete suspension of the tax on home heating oil. Uh, this makes me very happy, but it's not just New Brunswick rural people it's rural people in some of the more spread out parts of the world hello that's me but it's also urban people everybody needs to eat and get to work and heat their home this is a very cold place um and i'm, I'm really tired of people who never set foot off pavement 
telling us gravel dwellers how we have to live our lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm not surprised to see, you know, liberal MPs doing this. I'm, I don't envy being in that caucus, especially if you have some common sense and maybe have been biting your tongue for the last couple of years, especially whether it be the trucker convoy. We saw a couple speak out on the divisive rhetoric that Trudeau was doing. But more recently, I know that some MPs uh, started speaking out in general, just you know, without releasing their names. Um, I forget which news outlet wrote that story, but I think there was about a dozen of them that are saying he's not listening to them. Um, you know, he's going his own separate ways, things like that. So it's not surprising to see. I couldn't open this article myself, but are the MPs actually named who are saying this? Or um, is it another one where they're saying it off record, but they want the public to know, we don't all agree with Trudeau. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we know that answer. Because this one's locked let's, for me. But, uh, well, that's let's okay. move ahead. Yeah. yeah, you know what? I think in some parts of the country, to get elected, you have to run as a liberal. Um, and so you might be more yeah. uh, a liberal in a blue tie than a conservative in a red tie um, to get elected in some of these places. So, I, you know, I don't know what's in the hearts and minds of these men, but also good for them. <laughs> good for them. Yeah. Let's yep. move ahead because... Um, Twitter's uh, punching bag, or X, or whatever we're calling it. Mark Gerritsen, a uh, liberal MP, uh, he has decided that he knows the math on the carbon tax. Who says, don't believe the conservative hype that the carbon tax is driving higher gas prices at the pump. In fact, the last year, the carbon tax increased the cost by two cents a liter, while wholesale margins, i.e. big oil profits, I guess they're supposed to just get the, get the oil out of the ground for free. Yeah, in this you country, you're just not supposed to make money and Here's reinvest that in other projects or pay your employees. You're just not. Uh, also, um, I'd love to know if these liberals have any sort of oil and gas holdings in their own portfolios. Um, are you a shareholder in these companies? Because those profits are yours, Mark, then you big, dumb idiot. Um, but let's go back. He uh, And I, I say that um, with complete... Um, enthusiasm and certainty that he is one of the dumbest MPs in the House of Commons. All you have to do is follow his Twitter account. And I, I know I might seem to be unkind, but I mean, this guy, this is just what he does with his taxpayer salary. Just get on the internet and lie. So he <laughs> says, big oil profits accounted for 18 cents per liter. Well, wouldn't you know, you want to know what uh, the federal carbon tax is per liter? 14.31 cents per liter. Um, according to this is um, government data, right. uh, the federal carbon tax is 14.31 cents per liter. So almost as much as the oil companies who are investing to get this product out yeah. of the ground. You, they are taking as much of a cut as the companies that are building these massive projects and employing thousands of Canadians. And investing in our communities. If you've ever been to an Alberta oil patch town, everything is sponsored by Suncor, Sincrude, Synovus. Like it's, it, the oil companies build everything. Fort Saskatchewan is built by Shell. It just is. Um, mm -hmm. But besides the federal carbon tax, then you've got the excise tax, which is a flat rate of 10 cents per liter that the federal government charges on gasoline and four cents per liter on diesel. So, um, they are actually taking more in tax than the oil companies are taking in profit. Mark. Yeah, it's, 
Yeah, it's robbery. And again, this is during a time where families are struggling with the things that, you know, David and Evie mentioned earlier, the cost of living and things like that. So it's criminal, in my opinion, to be charging something like that. And it where where's the math on how that's even justified? Because it's not. So, uh, but I guess you have MPs like him going on there and just saying the lie with a straight face so that somebody believes it. It's like, oh, it's not their problem that I'm spending this much on gas. Ugh, British Columbia yeah. gas is just, it's out through the roof. Although I heard it's going down this week. So we'll see if that's true. We don't have to own cars. We can just, um, I don't know, do what oh, Christian Freeland does because she doesn't own a car, right? We just yeah. pay for a driver. <laughs> yeah. Unless we feel like speeding. Unless we feel yeah. like unless we feel like speeding, then we'll drive. <laughs> right. And then the cop is kind to her and gives her a ticket that doesn't get her charged with dangerous driving. Yes. Yeah. I know. Um, mm-hmm. let's let's hit an ad break so that we actually hit two of them and then we'll talk about maid after the break. So mm-hmm. medical assistance and dying, and then we've got a few chats, and then uh, we can't go long because it's managers meeting day on Wednesday. Canadians are grappling with news blackouts on social media due to the Justin Trudeau Liberal government's Bill C-18. This new piece of legislation demands that social media platforms pay the government for news shared by users, which is an inconceivable task for companies like Meta and Google. So, as a result, they have decided to preemptively block all Canadian news content, including ours at Rebel News. In response to this, we have since teamed up with VPN provider Private Internet Access to ensure that you can continue to access all of our content across a broad range of platforms while also maintaining your privacy. For only $2 a month, you can bypass Trudeau's new censorship laws while you safeguard freedom of speech and continue to get the news that matters to you the most. Visit piavpn.com slash rebelnews to take advantage of the 84% discount and four months free. As a bonus, PIA has all of its servers located in the United States, not China, and they automatically delete user data from their servers to avoid leaks and government subpoenas for information phishing expeditions. Don't delay. Head over to piavpn.com slash rebel news to stay up to date on the news in Canada and protect your access to it. Don't delay. You don't want to be left behind. All right. Let's move ahead to uh, one of the other reasons that Canada is terrible, and that is the treatment of <laughs> the vulnerable in this country. <laughs> oh, my I know goodness. what a bleak, bleak segue. But uh, as people at home know, uh, Canada has uh, one of the more extreme euthanasia protocols in the entire world. Um, You do not have to receive uh, your euthanasia from an actual doctor. Um, You can receive it from a healthcare practitioner, which Mm -hmm. can mean a pharmacist or a nurse. Um, We are advancing efforts to give it to people who are mentally ill um, in March 2024. Currently, right now, you can qualify for um, medical assistance in dying, as uh, they like to call it, to sterilize the euthanization of the vulnerable and the difficult. Uh, You can receive it if you have a chronic, not just illness, chronic 
uh, I don't know what the right word is, situation, uh, where you are not satisfied with the treatment that you are receiving to alleviate your suffering. And so you can be diabetic. You don't have to be fatal with anything. Just have a chronic situation. Diabetic, yeah. homeless, uh, oh, right. yeah. MS. Um, it, so th there's a whole host of other, I don't even want to say illnesses because these are hardly, I mean, these, yes, they do cause suffering, but I don't know, maybe it's because I'm Catholic. I, I think there's value in suffering um, and dignity in all of God's children. But in Canada, if you, in March 2024, 20, you can just, if you are having a suicidal episode, I, I don't even know why we have suicide hotlines in this country anymore. Why are we trying to stop this? Um, well, no. yeah. You know, like when you can just go and uh, talk to your pharmacist about ending your life. And I think even for some illnesses, they've, re they've removed the wait time. You used to have to wait 14 or 10 days to see if you're in like the right frame of mind. Um, and that is not the case in most circumstances anymore. And when Canada first adopted euthanasia, they said, oh, no, 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 there will be safeguards that you, your death has to be nearly immediate, like in the very foreseeable future. You can't just have a fatal yeah. diagnosis right. where you have like a, a chronic creeping disease that will lead to your death years down the road. Now it's, it had to, used to have to be in the foreseeable future, like soon. Now it's none of that. It, it doesn't even have to be fatal. You can just end it all. If you're not satisfied with the quality of your medical care in this country, which I don't think anybody's satisfied with their, the quality of their medical care in this country, because we have publicly funded health care, which means you have publicly rationed health care um, and surgical delays forever. It takes two years to get a knee surgery. So maybe you just maybe you want to end it all. Just look at the Canadian government for help. Anyway, the video we have to show after my big rant there is that we um, members of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, uh, they are explaining why Canada's radical euthanasia approach is morally corrupt. Sorry to have cut you off there, Drea. No. In 2014, I lost my brother, um, and I have never been the same since. I've gone through several traumas and stressors since then, culminating in a range of serious mental health symptoms in 2018. That year, I was hospitalized five times, uh, one time for five weeks, including a stay at the acute psychiatric unit. And it was one of the worst years of my life. Um, when I was discharged, my father had to keep my medication in his room to keep me safe. And at one point, I was so depressed, I didn't leave the bed or the couch for weeks on end, um, leading to my sister becoming so concerned that she called the ambulance. Um, if MAID had been presented as an option to me at that time, as a solution to the emotional pain and distress I felt, um, I may not be here today. It was a really rough time, and it's only the care of the psychiatrists, psychologists, pharmacists, social workers, 
Um, it's only through their care at the hospital that I was able to get better and move through that time in my life. When I then started trying to recover, I found that I couldn't. You know, I, I think my first time trying to recover, I lasted 85 days before I relapsed. And then every time it was shorter and shorter. And I got to the point where I figured, I'm not going to be able to recover this. I will never get better. I'll just have to live with this for forever. And so facing down the prospect of, you know, the rest of my life being, a, 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 you know, one year after another of amorphous existential suffering, I figured that death was my only solution. And so I first attempted suicide when I was 15 years old. And I attempted suicide seven times in the two years of particular acute pain, although the, the depression and the struggles with mental illness continued long after I, I after that acute period. Um, I, I never sought treatment. And if you had offered me medical assistance in dying in that moment, I would have taken it because I really genuinely believed that death was the only solution to the suffering that I experienced. Um, with Bill C-314, we would be reversing the decision to extend medical assistance in dying to people whose sole underlying condition is mental illness. Um, we know that it's not, um, it's not a possibility to predict whether someone with mental illness will become better or worse. Psychiatrists can't predict it. Um, and oftentimes we put an emphasis on suicide prevention measures for people like me, you know, talking to a friend, uh, asking them if they have a plan, uh, being there for people that we notice are acting differently. All of these suicide prevention measures, I think, are what we need to emphasize when it comes to um, care for vulnerable people. And as Canadians, we can't do both. We can't put our emphasis on preventing suicide while also presenting um, made as an option for people with mental illness. And so I, I would ask people to consider that, to hear the stories of those who experience mental illness, to speak to those in your community who experience mental illness, and to really think about what it means to be offering suicide assistance to those who need suicide prevention. Thank you. Yeah, she nailed it at the end there. I mean, this is just so evil and wrong. As a mental health professional, it makes me really sick to my stomach. There are so many times where people struggle with thoughts of suicide for a variety of different reasons. And the lady who said it, it's a team of people that come together that should be talking about helping you get through it, not ending your life. And there's so many people. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as getting off of your meds where you start to start to have these feelings again. And most people are just simply not in their right state of mind. How on earth are we leaving that up to them to end their life? Something so extreme, so drastic. Again, I just feel nauseous that uh, this is the country I live in, that they, they do not value the sanctity of life whatsoever. And then on the other hand, they, the same people are defending child mutilation as some sort of form as uh, preventing transgender kids from suicide. So you don't, you can't even buy that narrative if they're okay with something like this. That was exactly, exactly the point that I was going to make. Out of one corner of their mouth, they're saying we must do these things um, because we have to prevent it a suicide of transgender children. And I agree, we must prevent that suicide. I just have a different viewpoint on how we can do that while simultaneously offering medical assisted suicide to the mentally ill. Uh, it, it's horrific. It's her. Eugenics. Just, it Seems is like eugenics. eugenics. 
And then, you know, the harvesting the organs of these people, you know, mm-hmm. seeing them as just the raw materials. Uh, it just, it's gross. It's gross. Um, we've got uh, this also uh, a video from Amanda Actman. Um, she's a pro-life advocate, um, just a, a phenomenal, smart woman. And she's got a video uh, from a woman named Christine. She's uh, in her 80s and she got a tattoo that says, don't euthanize me. I think it's to prevent someone from making the decision on her behalf. Uh, let's uh, show this. It's uh, look at this cute little lady. She looks yeah, like a grandma. So <laughs> With a tattoo. <laughs> I was born in 1935. When the war broke out, we were in London. I would have been five years old at the time. I came to Canada from England in 1957. Came to teach at a little country school in Saskatchewan and I married a local farmer. He was a good Catholic and he was quite willing, as I was once I discovered after a few years that I couldn't have children possibly. He was willing to go along with adopting the children. I got seven of them. He was just lovely. I was married to him for 36 years. He used to sometimes say some peculiar things. First of all, they thought he was bipolar, and then uh, they threw him on some medicine, but it didn't really work. She was paranoid schizophrenia, which she, which she was. So then what happened, Christine? What did you do about this? The last 10 years, well, as I look back on it as a reign of terror, I was scared stiffly for most of the time. Everything was piling in on me, and I couldn't see any way out of it. I just reached the end of my tether. And then I decided I was going to take, I had some pills that the doctor had given me. I was very much on edge and I just decided I'm going to swallow this. I'm going to get to sleep and that's the end of it. It was so wrong. I hadn't really thought about it one way or the other until after I did it. Because then right after I'd swallowed everything, then I was concerned about the kids. And began to realize how wrong it was. And so I got help. The kids I adopted were just so precious and so important. They were the happiest days of my life when I'm with them. How do you know for sure that you never want euthanasia? Euthanasia is suicide. Oh, there's no other word for whether whether you get a doctor to help you or not. It's putting an end to your own life. It just made me shudder. People don't realize how short life is and how precious it is. We've lost our respect for life. We've lost respect for our own life, and it's a gift from God. Tell me about the story of the tattoo. During the war, they, were, they printed these cards and you're supposed to carry them in your wallet. And it said, I am a Catholic. In case of accident, please call a priest. You know, later on, when I was over here, I, I was so disgusted with the thought of euthanasia and I wanted to make a, a statement, but I didn't want to do like they did in the war, put a card in my wallet because you lose your purse. So I decided I'd get a tattoo. That would be with me forever. When I went to the hospitals, the nurses would see it. 
and oh, come out to the court, another nurse in. I think, oh, good for you, you know. And doctors walking by would give me a thumbs up because none of them wanted to be involved in helping live people to kill themselves. It just went against the whole idea of being a doctor. In light of how much you yourself have suffered, how can you see clearly the value of life? Because I know I'm here for a reason. Because God wanted me to be. He wanted me to be born, be born into this family, have this life, eventually raise his children, um, do whatever I can to follow his way and to be with him. And the older I get, the closer I am to God. Respect the life you have. It's a gift from God. My gosh, so much wisdom. I'm going to tear up now on the way out of the, the life. I know. So Get it together, Aww. Sheila. But yeah, the, <laughs> that lady is so darn cute. And you, you think about how much goodness in the world would have been lost if she had been successful when she tried to kill mm -hmm. herself. Like she's a, she had seven, she adopted seven kids. Think about the kind of person who does that. Yeah. And then to struggle with a husband who is mentally ill, of course, she was crushed under the burden of that. But yeah. now she's a grandma. She's inspirational. She's mm -hmm. fighting for the, for the health of other people. Mm -hmm. it, nobody, nobody, you know, that has ever attempted suicide is regretful that they failed. Nobody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, our, our friend, Andrew Lawton, he's been very open with his, uh, suicide attempt and he's written extensively about that, but he, it, he's the person who sort of said that phrase. And I thought, uh, yeah, of course, of course, everybody, you know, who tried suicide mm -hmm. and failed is so grateful for their failure in that one act. Mm -hmm. Nobody regrets living. Nobody does. And, and that should be our takeaway here. And, uh, you know, if, yeah. if the Canadian government had their way in 2024, uh, people like that lady would be able to euthanize themselves. It's just yeah. a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Anyway. Oh, well, we have some chats to end the show with. A $10 donation. Thank you very much from JCMN84 says, even pro-transgender study trumpeting infrequent detransitions shows youth 8.1 years average starts with 317 patients followed only five years after initial social transition 7.3 percent retransitioned wow um, yeah. so only five years later i just did an interview with a uh a man who detransitioned over, I think, 17 years later. So, wow, that's, uh, that's crazy. Um, we should, snowy, sorry, before we oh, move yeah. ahead, we, we should touch on one thing that uh, to oh, our yeah. great regret, we didn't cover as adequately as we could have. However, we don't have the infinite resources of the Trudeau colonized media. Uh, last night in Manitoba, the right. province yes. flipped back to the NDP, Wob, Wob Canoe. Uh, just a guy I, I don't, I don't appreciate <laughs> whatsoever. Um, and we'll, I think I should probably do a more deep dive into who Wob Canoe is and what he's done in his past. 
uh, for Canadians who should be concerned that now he is the premier of one of the prairie provinces. Um, but they swept into majority uh, last night. Uh, they, I think it was almost a complete total wipeout in Winnipeg. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, how terrible Brian Pallister was and mm. as a PC leader. And then he also didn't give a lot of runway to his successor. Um, and so not a lot of ability to repair the damage that had been done between the government and the populace during lockdowns and arresting pastors and all those things. And, and so anyways, good luck to you, uh, Manitoba as an Albertan, I, I empathize greatly with what you're about to go through. Um, and, uh, We'll try our best here at Revenues to hold your NDP government to account for all the horrible things I'm sure they're about to do to you. <sighs> anyway, uh, on that yeah. sad note. I'll just uh, read another one. Um, Snowy Roof donates $5. NDP, speaking of the devil, are crying about job loss due to Danielle Smith's pause on the green energy. The NDP may have forgot about their job exodus, but we haven't. So that's exactly what you went into great detail about. Absolutely yeah. correct there. Yeah. yeah. And all those people putting up uh, solar panels, if you would just get out of the way of the oil patch, which is currently experiencing a bit of a boom, thanks to Daniel Smith, um, just go. They're hiring right now. <laughs> go, go over there. If you if you are just got laid off because you're putting up solar panels, government subsidized solar panels, might I suggest you get a job moving drilling rigs or, you know, go, go be a lease hand <laughs> on a drilling rig. There's lots of money to be had there. You need to have to do some cold, hard work, but it's good for you. So I don't know. I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who are losing their government subsidized jobs when there's lots of other jobs to be had in this province. Uh, did we yeah. talk about, uh, did we get uh, Kevin Tennant's chat? Five bucks. Very few no, uh, Alberta children in hospitals during the pandemic, but lots of nope. panic, seriously ill children, some on dialysis due to poor food handling, hardly a peep. Thoughts? You know what? That is so true. So there was a very recent outbreak of uh, food poisoning, which caused some children to be on dialysis and hospitalized. It broke out uh, because of uh, contamination, I think, in a central kitchen that multiple daycares yeah. relied on. So yeah. these are little tiny little people. And yeah. uh, kids ended up in the hospital, more kids than were ever on the, uh, you know, hospitalized because of COVID. That's for sure. And hardly a peep about it because um, it doesn't, doesn't fit the narrative. Uh, to lock down schools and mask children forever. Um, let's keep going. Uh, wrong way 54, five bucks afternoon, ladies. Do you know if there is any truth or just rumors about Trudeau being paid $25 per jabby jab from Big Pharma in the arm? If so, he made around 300 million so far. I have not seen that whatsoever. No, I, I would guess that that's probably not based on a lot of facts. But if you have any uh, evidence to suggest otherwise, send that to us. I, the money went the other way. <laughs> the money yeah. went from the Canadian government to Big Pharma. That's how it went, based on exactly. all the vaccine contracts that I saw. And they uh, they paid contracts for vaccines that nobody used and were expired. And so the money was going that way. Um, and I, think and I know Tamara... 
paid in kind by by his ability to control us. I think that's the real currency yeah. for him. Okay. All right. Okay. So uh, sorry. Yes, you got the ones that we missed or I missed. So JCMN84 donates another $10. Thank you. Says at least once ignoring the impressionability on children to transform attitudes or behaviors being taught and promoted denies common sense. So yeah, I mean, that's true. That must have been what we were talking about earlier with ignoring yep. that. So yeah. And another $10. Oh my gosh. Thank you. You're paying for the lights yep. to stay on today in this live stream. Thank you so much. Uh, says, and this is a story I'd like to report on says Kelowna hospice has no doctors admit orphan patients, poor palliative care made out of fear. So um, just, I, I don't know about this. So thank you so much for sharing it, but it looks like the contract issues at the central Okanagan hospice resulted in a displacement of these patients. And now they're going to, um, an overcrowded hospital and they've been there since June 30th. So, uh, thanks for sending that. Cause I wasn't aware. I'll definitely look into yeah. that and report on that. Oh, That's a real, so a real failing of our publicly funded healthcare system coupled with an aging population that we don't have adequate hospice and end of life care for Canadians um, right. to treat aging Canadians with the dignity that they deserve. Instead, they become desperate and, and they decide that, you know, there's but one way to end their suffering and that is to end it all. And it's just, it's terrible. It, I, I hate to see it. I hate it so much. Um, this culture of death, that we have mm -hmm. sweeping across the land. Yeah. Okay, guys, on that, again, on that dark and gloomy <laughs> note, that's the show for today. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Drea, for being a little bit more prepared than I was, although I think if you turned in halfway through, you might not have been able to tell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks to everybody who tuned in at home, everybody who works behind the scenes at Rebel News to make sure the show is there for you to click on whenever you want to watch it, Drea. Thanks so much for being my co-host today. Uh, thanks to everybody who pitched in a few bucks. Keep the lights on here at Rebel News. We take no money from Justin Trudeau. We rely on the support of you at home. And so we know that Justin Trudeau is leaving less money in your pocket than ever before. So we appreciate you choosing to spend your money with us. And as David Menzies always says, although I don't think he takes his own advice, stay sane. <laughs> The Liberal NDP government increases the carbon tax on farmers who grow the food, on truckers who transport it, on manufacturers who process it, on retailers who sell it. But oh no, these higher taxes certainly don't impact the price of food when Canadians buy it. They don't believe them. They don't believe them when 7 million Canadians are struggling to put food on the table. They don't believe them when food bank usage in Alberta is up 70%. They don't believe them when families can't put turkey on the table. How many families are going to be relying on food banks for the Thanksgiving dinner because of this Prime Minister's inflationary carbon tax? Mr. Speaker, I would like to remind my honourable colleague that the Poultry Association of Canada, the grain growers, the canola growers, have all committed to be net zero by 2050. And interestingly enough, every time this member, which I respect, stands in the House to talk about the impacts of climate change, he never talks about the impacts on farmers, the billions of dollars that droughts, flooding, pests are costing our farmers all across the country, Mr. Speaker, from coast to coast, all 
across the country that we never hear about that. They have no solution to help our farmers fight climate change and help them with affordability, Mr. Speaker.